Well, hello, everyone. This is Jessica. And this is Caitlin. And this is the Calling All Spirits podcast. How are you, Caitlin? Allergies make me want to die. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) I am good, but you got to stay in the living world with me. I know we talk about ghosts and spiritualism, but we need you here on this side. It's an easier podcast. (laughs) <laughs> you don't want to translate my uh, wrappings from the other side longhand for a two and a half hour podcast? <laughs> no, no. Sorry, hard pass. I love you. But no, I mean, at that point, we'd have to get a Ouija board. Yeah, that's valid. That's valid. And probably make it a full blown YouTube show at that point so we could show the, the thing moving constantly and me interrupting you even from the other <laughs> side. Just have this planchette, like, over to the side. What if I just, like, took it off? Like, I just took it off. Like, she's done. We're going to put her over here for a second. Caitlin's in timeout. I put the planchette away. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Yeah, you know, it'd be unique. It'd be a first in the podcast world, at least that I know of. But, uh, you know, I'd rather do it this way. I think this is a little easier. Then I'll do what I can to keep the Texas pollen from attacking my asthma anymore. Going up two flights of stairs and then having to go into a meeting room. I'm like, I'm wearing my mask. So so you all feel okay because I don't have COVID. I have asthma and allergies. But to put everyone at ease, if I start coughing, my face is covered. <laughs> oh, no, I I get it. I feel like at least it's gotten better because I remember last spring, like, Either people thought you had COVID or you thought you had COVID. You're like, is this allergies or is this COVID? I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 a thing. It, it's a thing. And people don't live in Texas. We have many seasons and one of them they call, was it the pollening or something? It's the pollening, yes. We don't get snow every year, but we do get a nice thick coat of yellow every spring. But I'll go ahead and dive in uh, because... Super exciting. I got to check something off my bucket list. It's been on there, I think, since middle school, maybe early high school. And I got to go to the Myrtle's Plantation a few weeks ago. And it was so exciting. And I can't wait to tell y'all all about it. I'm excited to hear about it. This is going to be awesome. I know. I know. But Caitlin, as they know... We can't just talk about the ghost. I mean, we are historians. (laughs) Like, we're going to tell you all about the history of the house first, but it makes sense because then you understand why it's haunted. Then you understand who's haunting it. At this point, if they don't understand that we're going to build a stage before we put on the show, then they honestly aren't paying enough attention. That's true. And if they don't like it, you know, we may not be the podcast for you, but (laughs) I think it's fascinating to know who the spirits are in the house. Like... We want to know a little bit about their story. Oh, yeah. No, that's part of the issue with um, the story I was telling for Par- Paranormal Day. The house has been moved. We don't know if the people who lived there are the ones that are haunting it or if it's someone entirely new. Whereas, like, the Myrtle Plantation hasn't been moved. And so I'm assuming the ghosts that are there, we can assume we're at least part of the family's history at some point. I would think so. I would think so. So, yeah, we'll tell you all about them. But, so... Are you ready to get started? Absolutely. Let's get into it. Okay. Well, I feel like I want to say this story takes us to the little Louisiana town of St. Francisville, 
which is described on its website as blissful views, rich history, and good people. It was established in 1807 and began as part of Spanish West Florida and is situated on the Mississippi River. Now, it's beautiful there, and the landscape and wildlife have drawn people to this area throughout the years, including James Audubon, who painted local birds there in 1821. Oh, cool. I know. I thought that was really neat. Yeah. And of course, today, tourists flock to the area year-round for its adorable picturesque downtown, the beautiful gardens, all the grand homes you can tour, but... Lurking off the main highway, surrounded by moss-draped oak trees, also sits one of the most haunted houses in America. Dun, dun, dun! Thank you. I was waiting for that, and you could feel it. (laughs) (laughs) I am here for the dramatic segues. Yay! Now, you would think our story would start in Louisiana, but it actually doesn't. We have to start in Pennsylvania because the gentleman that built the Myrtles and started it all was named General David Bradford. He was born in 1755. Um, He first lived in Maryland and then moved to Pennsylvania. Hmm. He was a successful lawyer, businessman, and deputy attorney general of Washington County, Pennsylvania. Oh, gee, is that all? I know. Just not much. Um, He married Elizabeth Porter in 1785, and together they had several children. Now, in 1788, General David Bradford built a grand house in Washington County to reflect his high social standing. And what's really cool is that house still stands today, and now it's a historic house museum. So you can see his house in Pennsylvania, and you can also see his house in Louisiana. You get the whole family story then. (laughs) You do. And so for a time, the Bradfords prospered. Life was good. They had this big, beautiful home. But it's not going to last because he gets involved in a little thing called the Whiskey Rebellion. Ooh. I know. Now, I don't know if all our listeners know about the Whiskey Rebellion. I had to even brush up on my history a little bit. So I thought I'd share you... A little bit more about it because that's what gets them to Louisiana. So during the American Revolution, individual states incurred significant debt. So in 1790, Treasury Secretary Alexander Hamilton. Hey! (laughs) (laughs) That most of you know now because of the Broadway musical and I'm the only person left on this earth that has not seen it. I'm sorry. (laughs) You really need to. I know, especially after this. I, I'm going to. And you said this is in the musical. It is. It's put- in one of the cabinet battles when uh, Jefferson and Hamilton are going out it or going at it. Sorry. Um, Jefferson is talking about Hamilton raising the or creating state taxes and stuff to help deal with the state de- deaths incurred by the American Revolution. And I can't remember the lyric exactly. We need our spirit guide back here because she knows this thing inside and out and i've only seen it 50 times she's seen it 237 i'm sure but jefferson says something along the lines of uh imagine what's gonna happen when you try to tax our whiskey (gasps) and anyone who's like and that's where i think a lot of people who didn't know about the whiskey rebellion before hamilton hopefully had a historical friend who like grabbed their arm and then shared with them afterwards the entire chaos show that was the Whiskey <laughs> Rebellion. Absolutely. And if they didn't, 
I'm about to tell you, because as you're hinting at, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. It wasn't just called the whiskey incident or the whiskey event. (laughs) No. So, and what's interesting, President George Washington was actually opposed to this. I think he knew this is not going to go over well. But local government officials met the idea of a whiskey tax with enthusiasm, so they went through it with it anyway. However, not a shocker, protests against the tax begin immediately. And it's just an immediate failure. People are refusing to pay the taxes. They're intimidating officials hired to collect them, including tarring and feathering. Two of those tax collectors, which is as brutal and horrible as it sounds. It's worse than most people think, because you see it in Looney Tunes cartoons, for those of us who are older. That would kill you. Yeah, it's amazing the two men survived. Like, that blew my mind. Or at least one of them did. I know, because the other one, I don't know if they talked about but one of them did survive because he could point out who did it but no if if you really want to look that up go for it i thought i'd spare you all the details on that but so things are not going well no by the summer of 1794 it's just reached a fever pitch mobs have formed soldiers are being sent in a home was burned to the ground and our new friend david bradford who we're talking about tonight he is involved. So he and along he along with several other men encouraged an attack on Pittsburgh and incited seven thousand men to show up. Ooh. Yeah, it's a lot. Now the city of Pittsburgh, fearing violence, obviously, they had a pretty good idea. They sent a delegation to speak with the mob and offered them a gift of several barrels of whiskey. Hey, that'll do you. Eventually the day I know. <laughs> I know. I mean Who's going to get mad at that? Eventually, the day ended with the crowd having had a whole lot to drink, and they decided, we'll just march through the town peacefully. So all was well in Pittsburgh. Now, while Washington had still hoped for a peaceful resolution, he's just realizing this isn't going to happen. He gets together 12,000 men to form a federal militia. And that's when several of the rebellion's instigators, including Whiskey Dave Bradford, decide we're going to flee the state to avoid getting arrested. So he hightails it out of town. He's gone. I mean, that's how we got half the population of Texas after they were done with the old 300, right? <laughs> exactly. You're not lying there. You uh, Not always, because we do, we, or at least I work with some descendants of the old 300. So I, I wasn't referring to the old 300. I said after the old 300. Oh, sorry, after. Okay, I was about to say. Um, so if any of you locals are listening. <laughs> but yes, after. I mean, it's a common fact. A lot of people came to Texas escaping debts and cry, all kinds of things. We were getting for a fresh start. Looking for a fresh yes, start. Yes, they were running away very rapidly and very quickly from any kind of accountability. Yes. <laughs> and like we said again, after. Yeah, the old 300, they were pretty strict about. Yes, they were very strict about who got to come. So, yes, very similar to Texas. So this begins our story in Louisiana because that's where General David Bradford fled. And he was determined to build a new life for himself and his family here. Now, Bradford arrived at Bayou Serra, which at that time was a Spanish colony, and obtained a land grant of 650 acres that reached down to the Mississippi River. In 1794, he began construction on an outbuilding that would house him and his family while the main house was being built. It was just a little over a thousand square feet, consisted of a small kitchen, sleeping quarters, and a main room. And what's really cool is that original outbuilding is there. It's now their gift shop. So you can actually see 
this original 1794 building. Whoa, that's so cool. I know. I love it still standing. Now, with the once he completed that temporary home, he brings his family down to Louisiana. And I can't even imagine. They've gone from this grand home <laughs> in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and now they've come down to the bayou of Louisiana. And it's like, here's our home. Here you go. <laughs> like You've gone from a, ground ha- a grand house to the swamps. Have fun. <laughs> oh, my God. The mosquitoes alone would make me want to kill him. <laughs> I mean... Talk about a whole different environment they're leaving. That's got to be shocking. Now, thankfully, they don't have to stay in that little building for long because in 1797, his new main home is completed and he um, has named it the Richland Plantation. So that's what it starts out as is as the Richland Plantation. It was an elaborate two-story cottage constructed of cypress framework, flooring, exterior siding, and it had four rooms upstairs, four rooms downstairs, and an exterior staircase. So not bad. Pretty nice. Sounds pretty spacious compared to the thousand foot, thousand square foot one. Exactly. And they had, I was doing the math quickly in my head. They had to live in that small one for about three years. So I'm sure they were ready to move on in. The family got close that season. They did. And they had a lot of kids. This was not like a one parent. I mean, one child, two child. Yeah, they got very close. Now, they also start growing indigo and they later moved to cotton as a cash crop. But of course, at that time, as many did, they relied heavily on the labor of enslaved people. Yeah, you said indigo and cotton and we all probably saw that coming. Yeah, 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 exactly. Now, 11 years after the completion of his new home, General Bradford actually passed away in 1808, but his wife Elizabeth and the children remained at what was then Richland. So that moves us into the Woodruff years. And so we're going to be talking about four different kind of time periods because that's also where our ghost stories come out of. So I'm not, so pay attention because you're going to start hearing these names again. So we've moved out of the Bradford years. Now we've moved into the Woodruff years. So Sarah Matilda Bradford, the ninth child of David and Elizabeth, married Clark Woodruff. And Clark Woodruff left Connecticut at age 19 to come seek his fortune on the Mississippi River. And he arrived in the area in 1810. And so it's so sad. They have a portrait of Clark Woodruff in the house. It's his, in his later years. And Caitlin, they call him Dracula. <laughs> not the most flattering <laughs> it's not i'm like do you see me i'm like waiting for the lights to flip okay. <laughs> i gotta look up what this picture looks like <sighs> i mean they're like this is this is clark woodruff we call him dracula and i'm like oh my gosh so dracula painting <laughs> see if it pops up so well i'll keep telling the story so following the wedding clark and sarah decided to take over the plantation and manage it for her mother elizabeth And now they've renamed it. So it's going from Richland to now Laurel Grove. So it's known as Laurel Grove. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would have gone with Nostradamus, not Nostradamus, uh, Nosferatu, but that's, uh, (laughs) I can, I can see where the rationale came from. Um. (laughs) I know. I know. Well, well, now you know who we're talking about. I've, Put a face to yes, Nosferatu uh, ran the house. I'm, I'm there with everyone. 
I, by the way, y'all, um, the reason I'm going with Nosferatu is because he has a very kind of upside down triangular face and he's bald. So it's, that's not how I usually see Dracula. I'm, I'm, you know, Mr. Transylvania from the twenties is how I see Dracula. So I'm, I'm going to stick hard with Nosferatu on this one. Hey, go for it. That is fine. So now you have a visual. So if anybody else wants to look him up. Just Google Myrtle Plantation Dracula painting and it comes up. That's so sad. That's so sad. Oh, dear Lord. Hopefully nobody says that about me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Okay, so, but to continue the story, Woodruff wasted no time growing the property and expanding the original holdings. Together, he and Sarah had three beautiful children, twins, a boy and a girl, James and Cornelia Gale, and a daughter, Mary Octavia. By 1820, they're doing really well. The plantation is flourishing. And for a time, at least the family, not those enslaved on the plantation, but the family is happy. They're finding happiness. But this is soon going to change. And this is where our first spirit comes in. Hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you what I call the legend of Chloe. And I call it the legend, even though... It was told to us as fact. I'll put it out there. There's no historical evidence, at least to support this. So here's the legend. It's probably the most famous story of the Myrtle's Plantation. So the story goes that Chloe was a young enslaved girl working for the Woodruff family in their home, caring for the children. Now, Chloe had a habit of listening at the closed door of the gentleman's parlor in the hopes of hearing news regarding the buying and selling of enslaved persons. And on a few occasions, she was actually caught. And she was warned that if she did it again, her punishment would be severe. Mm. Now, Chloe, it said, once again pressed her ear to the opening to overhear a private discussion, and she was caught by Clark Woodruff. As punishment, Chloe's earlobe was cut off as a symbol of her, yes, as a symbol of her eavesdropping, And she was cast out of the main house to the kitchen. And it said from then on, she wore a green turban over her head to hide the missing ear. Wait, her ear or her ear lobe? Well, I think it was, sometimes I've read it as the ear lobe, but the way they describe it, I think it's the whole ear. I honestly, I think it's the whole ear. So I should have made that clear. Um, Hoping to get back on the family's good graces and return to her position in the house, she hatched a plan. Chloe asked to bake the birthday cake for Mary Octavia's ninth birthday. Inside the batter, she placed a few highly poisonous leaves of the oleander plant. Oh, yeah. No kidding. That's very toxic. Very. Her hope was for the children and mother just to fall ill, and then they would cry out her name for help, and she would know what was wrong so she could nurse them back to health. However, Chloe accidentally put too many leaves into the cake, and the mother and children were poisoned to death. Oof, that's not a good way to go either. No. Now, Chloe sought help from the other enslaved people to help her escape or hide her. But it's said that instead they found her guilty of murder. They hung her from a tree and threw her body into the Mississippi River. God, that's awful. Now, that's what the legend says. Oh, yeah. What? So what part of this is provable? History is going to paint a very different picture. Now, some still believe that a portion of the story is true. Some still say the children and mother got sick, but they recovered. However, I'm about to tell you the real cause of death, and it's not from Chloe. Oh. Oh, In 1823, a yellow fever epidemic was ravaging the state of Louisiana. Yeah, that'll do it. 
Yeah. Yellow fever is spread through the bite of an infected mosquito. Now, here's what's interesting. Initial symptoms are typically headaches, fever, loss of appetite, jaundice, vomiting, dizziness. So I'm kind of wondering if this legend, like they heard the family was sick and having, like if this where a nugget of it came out, Mm. like is this where, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure, but. I don't know. I mean, if you have an epidemic of yellow fever going around and you hear the symptoms matching, you're pretty much going to know that it was the yellow fever that took them out. I kind of think so, too. I'm trying to give them a little credit. Like, maybe this is where they kind of got it mixed up. But I kind of, I kind of, back then people knew it was yellow fever. It's not like the family or the people that lived back then knew this. Like the doctors may not have known that it was the mosquito causing the disease, but they could recognize the symptoms. Exactly. I think so, too. Later it progressed. Oh, I was just thinking about like people later on in like the 50s. Like, but I, I don't think so. You mean after after the cause of death was noted as yellow fever, they thought differently? I know. OK. OK. I'm trying to give them too much. I'm trying to help them out don't. too much. No. OK. They just got it completely wrong. <laughs> no, I can see where you're coming from on it, but it's one of those where I that it takes a very conspiratorial mind to jump from. Because, I mean, we, okay, obviously we know the doctor's not always right through history. If if you don't know that, then we have some other podcasts to recommend that go into that detail. Uh, Sawbones jumps to mind, yes. at least the early episodes. They go into the lovely history of medicine and how yes. doctors are crazy. But it's, I don't know, g- given the symptoms of yellow fever and the epidemic, like, that's like assuming that somebody died of food poisoning during the bubonic plague. Like, let's be real. Yeah, I think so, too. I Because I, it just blows my mind how we go from yellow fever to that. But I'll continue. So, of course, we know those are the initial symptoms. Later, it's going to progress to multi-organ failure, internal hemorrhaging, delirium, and then eventually results in death. And if you think about it with all these bayous and the Louisiana swampland, it just created the perfect breeding ground for the mosquitoes that carried this disease. And between 1839 and 1860, in New Orleans alone, 26,000 people contracted yellow fever. So the mother contracted the disease first, and she died at the age of 25 years old in 1823. A year later, her only son, James, succumbed to the same disease at the age of 12, and then his sister, Cornelia Gill, two months later. So there is the true cause of death. It is not Chloe. It was yellow fever. Now, heartbroken, Woodruff gathered up his small daughter, Mary Octavia, and just turned his back on Laurel Grove, and he sold it in 1834 to Ruffin Sterling. There's a name for you. So now we're entering... Your county, the third one. Here we go. The Sterling era. Now, Ruffin Sterling was a wealthy gentleman. He already owned several plantations. He even had a townhouse in Natchez. Now he wanted a house that reflected his social status. He wanted a party house. Or that's how they started. He wanted a, a party house. But the home wasn't good enough. So renovations of the new home began immediately. And how you see the house today, if you visit the Myrtles, you're really seeing this Sterling era. Like, this is what you see now. So an extension was added that nearly doubled the house's size. There's a 125-foot-long veranda that's beautifully detailed with ornamental ironwork. I love they added these glass doors that are gorgeous. They're French doors, and they have hand-painted glass with the design of the French Gothic cross, which was chosen because they believed it would protect their new home from evil spirits. 
Jokes on them. <laughs> exactly. But that's not where it ended. The protective elements continued throughout the house. They had angels on the chandeliers. They had a fireplace painted to resemble malachite crystal, which is fascinating. Yeah, but just because you paint it like the stone that's supposed to have the protective properties doesn't mean it's going to work the same. I don't think anybody told them. I don't think they realized that. They tried. They tried. But yeah, no. And obviously it didn't. (laughs) It's fair. (laughs) And even the keyholes were placed upside down in an effort to confuse the spirits because they believed spirits would enter through keyholes. But it's also a great security measure because if somebody's like trying to get in, it's like, oh, keyholes upside down. Especially if it's dark. That was going to think the same thing. Like you try to put the key in the keyhole and it's not working. No. So that was just pretty smart. Anyway, there's elaborate carvings along the ceilings. There's this gorgeous Baccarat French chandelier, marble Mm. mantles, gaming room, dining room. I mean, it goes on and you can see it when you tour the house today. I mean, it it is gorgeous inside. Now, are they marble mantles or are they the faux painted marble mantles? I'm trying to, in the dining room, it's still the faux painted, I believe. (laughs) Yes. And the other ones are marble, but in the dining room, I believe it's still the faux. I'm going to have to look at my picture, but I think it is for sure. Now, they also expanded the land holdings and they renamed. So now we have our third name and they also renamed the plantation, the Myrtles for all the crepe myrtle trees. Ah. And that name stuck finally (laughs) after trying to several, (laughs) the Myrtles stuck. Of course, they threw lavish balls and parties, and it became one of the grandest homes in Louisiana, but it's like in all our other stories, it's not going to last. Started off when Ruffin Sterling died of consumption in 1854, and then from 1861 to 1865, we had a little thing called the Civil War. Yeah, that'll ruin anyone's day. It, it will. It will. It ravaged the South. Uh, or at least, I mean, if you're in the battle zone, it, it will. And say uh, it ravaged everybody. It really did. Ravaged the South and these once affluent plantations that made their fortunes on cotton and sugar were now devastated. And later with the Emancipation Proclamation, they also lost their labor force. Well, sort of. I mean, sharecropping took over, so it didn't really go away. No, no. And that's a whole nother a whole nother story to get into. Whole other abuse of power. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly, to say the least. But it hit the Sterlings very hard. It was fought at their doorstep. The home was pillaged. And they also had put all their wealth and holdings into Confederate money, which after the war became worthless. So now they're pretty much penniless. So this leads us into our last era, if you will, and it's the winter. Era, which is kind of fitting because we've gone for this sp- spring and summer and now we're in winter. Yeah, fall hit hard. <laughs> yeah, hit really hard. So William Winter, he was a prominent attorney and he married the Sterling's daughter, Sarah, and they moved into the Myrtles in 1865. And um, I feel like a broken record. Their story is a tragic one. Hey, not shocking. They also lost a daughter to an illness. Their daughter, Kate, died of typhoid at um, age of three. So the Myrtles, and you'll see this in the hauntings, it's a lot of children that are reported. The property holdings are decreased. And though they did their best to recruit their lost wealth, their efforts are just proving futile. But it gets worse. It gets worse in 1871. Pay attention. 
This is going to lead to another ghost story. I'm listening. <laughs> so on the evening of January 26, 1871, William Winter was in the gentleman's parlor giving lessons to his children. Suddenly, there was the sound of a horse quickly approaching and a voice calling out, gentlemen, to see a lawyer. William walked to the front door, stepped out onto the veranda and said, I'm a lawyer. Reportedly, the writer asked, are you William Winter? When William replied yes, the writer pulled out a gun and shot Winter in the chest Ooh. and the wound was fatal. Yeah. Now, this is where legend and history get a little murky. Warning. So the legend says that Winter stumbled up the stairs to have one last look at his wife, but collapsed and died in her arms on the 17th step. However, the family's account states that he died in the gentleman's parlor or the game room. And if you've been to the house, they're like literally right next door to each other. So it, it could be either one. Regardless, this is a true story. Unlike the Chloe one, there is evidence to back this up. It was in the newspapers and he was murdered. The cause is still unknown, but they suspect it may have been due to gambling debts. Oh, that tracks. And possibly cheating at cards. Ooh, that'll get you shot. Yeah, well, we, we, we don't know anything about that. Well, I mean, to be more accurate, it was an insult over a card game. He insulted the guy's father, so he shot him on the courthouse steps and got away with it. No question. Money and power are a weird combination when it comes to what rules apply. That is very true. Very, very true. There's a lot of um, interesting deaths. In that same town <laughs> that are questionable. Uh, but that's another podcast. Um, so, of course, his wife, Sarah, is just devastated. She never remarries. She goes into mourning. But she remains at the Myrtles for the rest of her life. So, fast forward to modern day. Of course, the Myrtles continues to change hands over the years, passing from the Sterling family, later the Williams family, until it was put up for sale again in the 1950s, and it was purchased by a lady named Marjorie Munson. And I don't know why I just like saying her name, Marjorie Munson. It's alliteration. It is. She set to work restoring the home, and in 1955, for the first time in its history, it was open for tours. So that's when they started doing tours at the Myrtle. Of course, over the years, it has changed owners, gone through extensive renovations, especially in the 1970s. They've made additions like today. There's cottages, there's guest rooms, there's what looks like an amazing restaurant. So they've really made a lot of improvements and changes to the home over the years. And of course, now you can still stay there. But... Why is it the most haunted house in America? So are you ready for the ghost stories? Because I am. Yay. 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 Okay. So the ghost stories actually start off when the Williams family. So they came in after the Starlings and they actually talked about the ghosts in their home. They mentioned an infant that would cry through the night. They mentioned an old, I love that color, an old French lady. I don't know how they determined she was French, but. Was she crying with an accent? <laughs> I don't I don't know, but let's just say a lady in black, maybe French, who would wander the home 
and looking for some unknown person. So they're even experiencing this. But it's really in the 1950s when the first known ghost stories begin. And the first the first reports came from neighbors who were like seeing strange lights around the house. And of course, Marjorie Munson is she reported hearing her name called objects moving, unexplainable noises. She is actually the first person to see a woman wandering the property with a green turban upon her head. Oh, she had the first sighting. And when she asked the neighbors if the home was haunted, they were the ones that told her about Chloe. So the legend Mm. of Chloe first shows up in the 1950s. Okay, so wait, now was Chloe a person that we know of, or like she just didn't kill them with the oleander? That there's no proof that Chloe, as far as what I read in the book, and if somebody works at the Myrtles, please send me, like, tell me I'm wrong. So, from what I know, we don't know of anyone that actually existed named Chloe. Oh, so the whole thing's potentially a fabrication, exactly. Exactly. So I'm not saying there isn't a spirit that's at the Myrtles who has a green turban and is how they describe her, but we don't know if there ever was a Chloe. Because she answered to Chloe. Exactly. I mean, her name could be Mary for all we know. So just for podcast purposes, so it doesn't get too confusing, I'm going to refer to her as Chloe, kind of like Chloe in quotation marks, if you will. But no, we don't know that there ever was a Chloe. And we certainly know that the family did not die from a poison birthday cake. They died from yellow fever. But Chloe, quotation marks, is the most famous spirit at the Myrtles. So who? now people have seen the same lady in spirit with the green turban since the 50s. She's often seen on the grounds, in the home. But the most famous ghost story is a picture picture a photograph where she appears so one of the modern owners of the myrtles was actually taking pictures of the property for insurance purposes and she was instructed Mm -hmm. that no one could be in the photograph just the building so she went on a day on a sunday when she would be by herself she took the pictures nobody else was on the grounds when she sent them into the insurance company they actually contact her and they're like you're gonna have to retake these because you've got someone in your photograph So she's understandably confused. So she goes back and looks at the pictures and you can clearly see a woman standing between the gift shop and the main house. Whoa. It is amazing. And it even appears that she does have a turban on her head. It's, I mean, I get chill bumps when I'm talking about this picture. And it's not one of those ghost pictures. You know those that people are like, do you see the ghost? And you kind of have to squint, turn your head. And it's like. No, it's like, nope, that, that, that's a woman. Is it online? Yes. I want to look it up. So various experts, including someone from National Geographic, have looked at this photograph. It's been analyzed. They have deemed it to be authentic. Also, when they were further analyzing it, they were playing with like shadows and light, basically trying to figure out if this thing is real. And when, I believe it was the shadows, when they played with the shadows, Regardless, they were doing something to the photo, and then two children appear in it on the roof. So I don't see the one with the kids, but I found the one with Chloe in it. Yes. And yeah, no, it is It is not. Your eye goes straight towards the figure. Yeah. It looks like a person's just standing there. Yeah, just casually, like between the two buildings. Holy yeah. moly. Is that not? And that's what they're famous for, is that photograph. Like, it. Yeah. it is mind-blowing. So... 
whoever this lady in spirit is, I do believe they are seeing the lady in spirit. It's just is she, what her real name is or who she is. To me, that's still kind of a mystery. Wow. I know. So there we, there's that ghost story. And that's the most famous for the Myrtles. Now here, I'm going to tell you a few more rooms. Um, if I told you about every single haunted room in this house, we would still be here for, you know, another like 45 minutes. So <laughs> I just handpicked a few. So somebody may be like, but there's another one. I understand. I kind of picked my favorites. I'm just saying that. So the other famous thing is the staircase and the 17th step, which if you remember, legend said William Winter collapsed in his wife's arm on the 17th oh, step. Yeah. Well, what guests report is when they're staying in the house, especially at night, because by the way, guys, you can spend the night in this house. Just putting it out there. They'll hear someone coming up the steps, but the footsteps always stop on the 17th step. They never go and it they never go higher than that. And it's not it's not a 17 step staircase. Like there are more. I, I was gonna ask how many steps are there in the staircase? As a good investigator and podcaster, I should have counted them and I didn't <laughs> I didn't. But I know there's Is it like more. close to 17? I need to go back and look at my picture and see. I need to try to count. But Cause I can see if it's like if it's like twenty steps, then like if you don't catch all of them, yeah, if somebody gets to the top of the stairs, and it sounds like seventeen. Right. Whereas like if like there's seventy steps, then you 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 know it's not exactly. And regardless, to me, even if the William Winter say he didn't collapse on the seventeenth step, we've both been in homes with spirits, and that is a very common occurrence to hear someone walking up and down steps when there is n- at least no one living on them so good clarification yes yes so regardless i do believe people are hearing people walking up and down the steps absolutely now this is one of my favorites they have this haunted mirror and first of all this mirror is gorgeous it's said to date back to william bradford and okay caitlin so this is true as you know in funeral traditions you covered the mirrors to prevent the spirits from getting trapped yeah there's a whole heap of cultures that do that exactly well, what they think is someone forgot to cover the mirror when someone died. Ruh row. <laughs> so whoever's job that was, they failed. They never covered up the mirror and a spirit got trapped in it. I don't really know how you'd forget to cover this mirror because it's kind of the biggest one and it's in the main part of the house. <laughs> Seriously, like it's not like a hand mirror that was left in someone's vanity that you didn't catch. It was the the yeah. big mirror near the entrance and they just missed maybe the fabric slipped off because they didn't secure it properly hey that's happened to me so i can yeah, same that's a possibility <laughs> that one's valid like that one be- benefit of the doubt maybe they just didn't didn't do it securely and it fell down while they were carrying the coffin out of the house <laughs> very good point now i kid you not and i have to tell tell you when i went to the myrtles i had heard the story i had seen pictures I had seen it on the ghost shows because, I mean, come on, like, Ghost Hunters has been at this place. Ghost Adventures, like, all the big ones have been to the Myrtles. And they always talk about this mirror, and I was a total skeptic. I'm like, it's an old mirror. It probably needs to be resilvered. Like, there is not a face in that. Caitlin, there is a face in that mirror. Really? There is a face. I am not kidding you. It was the creepiest thing. I've tried to look at pictures. I even looked at the pictures I took. They do not do it justice. When you are there in person... It is the freakiest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't think Back pictures. Back to the Google. Yeah, pictures and video do not do it justice. But, I mean, there was no denying 
It 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 freaked me out. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if you. Yeah, I don't see a face in any of the pictures. No, I tried to take pictures with our camera at our angle and we couldn't. We didn't really get it. Like you can't see it. But when you're there in person, it looks like a young female face. It is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I just I, people just trust me. You have to see it in person. Seeing it in person will make you make you a believer. I'm not saying it's a ghost trapped in the mirror. I don't know what it is. Gosh, I feel like my accent's really coming out mirror. Like every time I say it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> what state are you from again? Texas. <laughs> but it, it was really cool. So that that was probably one of my favorite objects, the haunted mirror. I can't even, I'm trying. Um, so just a few more. So the chandelier. So that beautiful Baccarat chandelier. Now this is this is just a creepy story to me. So one of the owners later in the home's history, she um, found a warning about the ghost at the Myrtles in a book published in 1882. Don't ask me the book. It just says in the history she found this book about the ghost there. Here's what it said. How creepy is this? Ooh. Oh, God, I'm almost scared to read it like my lights are about to go out. <laughs> <sighs> so it said the lights are never extinguished at the plantation. When the lights are all out, something always happens. How creepy is that? Okay, then. Do you see me? Like, I wish our listeners could see me. I'm, like, looking around my room right now. Like, you have candles lit, so the lights won't be out in your house, even if the power goes out again. You're fine. This is true. This is true. So, basically, because of that, the chandelier hanging in the main entry is never goes out. Wow. It's all, they leave it on all night. So that's just kind of a creepy thing. Now, the ladies' parlor. This was one of my favorite rooms. Many people feel uncomfortable in this space. It's said that if you're a guest that's slightly sensitive, especially to the paranormal or energy, to be very careful um, because those people often pass out or get really nauseous. As soon as I say that, of course, my mother looks directly at me. (laughs) I'm like, oh, my God. Um, so our guide actually offered a warning that if you begin to feel sick or lightheaded, just step into the gentleman's parlor, get out of the ladies' parlor. I spent the entire time in the gentleman's parlor because I'm like, I really don't want to pass out on my visit to the Myrtles. Like, let's not. I will tell you, when I walked into that room, I don't know if it's because the guide put it in my head. It did have a weird feeling in there. I am mm. not. It's just, it was like a vortex of energy. Like, it was just a lot in that mm. room. Now, what, what, why they said that room is so haunted, Caitlin, prepare yourself, is because a former owner, Fanny Williams, conducted seances in that room and opened up a door she couldn't properly close. Yeah. Do they get this from a script? <laughs> I don't know. It's always the same line. Not only did they hold seances there, they opened a door they couldn't close. They don't rip a hole in the veil they can't patch. They don't <laughs> dig a hole they can't fill. They always open a door they can't close. People know how to use doors. You open a door, you close it. It's, mm, it's always the same line. I'm disinclined to believe any of them because they all say the same thing. Oh, I agree. I feel like they need to listen to our seance episode. Exactly. Like, there's 47 ways to hold a seance. Most of them do not involve the Ouija board. And, like, door and portal aren't necessarily the same thing. Mix up your verbiage if you want to be taken seriously. (laughs) Exactly. I have to admit, as soon as they told that explanation, everybody else in the room was like, and I was like, really? Really? Like, we're going to blame the seances. Okay. Okay. We're going to copy and paste our school book report from Wikipedia. (laughs) 
<laughs> and hope no one notices. Oh, I know. I know. But I will tell you the weird thing in this room. They do talk about electronics are drained. My dad could not keep a charge in his phone the entire time we were at the Myrtles. Like he'd charge it up. It'd be gone. I'd forgotten about that until just now. And even like they had the TV show um, Unsolved Mysteries, which is where I first learned about the Myrtles. They had trouble filming in the house because it would drain all the batteries. So that does happen in this room. And it does. It has a weird feeling. And... My mom actually got touched in this room, which is so cool. Ooh, what happened? What happened? What happened? She was standing there. My dad was behind her and he had his arms crossed. And she said she just felt like somebody flicked her. Just like on the hip. Just like you go up and like flick somebody. And she thought it was my dad. Like, really? So she whipped around and looked at him. And she's like, did you just flick me? And he's like, I didn't touch you. And my mom can read my dad. And he's like, "I no, I did it." And she's like, "It." she felt it. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, I love that she had an experience. Okay, so just three more rooms to go. So the French room, it's just really known for its paranormal activity. The lady in black is said to frequent this room. Mm. And this is, I'm bringing this room up because of our bonus episode. There's like a day bed in there. And this room remains locked at all times because it's got really valuable, expensive things in it. But staff will come in, they'll unlock the door, they'll come in, they'll find handprints on the daybed. It'll show us like somebody's been sitting on the daybed when nobody else has had access to that room. Ooh, covers all the bases. I yeah, know. Yeah, those, hand, those handprints, those, those, those will throw you. They do. I thought of you instantly. It's also <laughs> said that objects will move, the chandelier will sway, lights turn on and off, and all that good stuff. Now, if you're brave enough... There are bedrooms in this house you can sleep in at oh. night. So I'm just going to talk about two of them because it's really your, like it's standard, your standard ghostly occurrences, if you will. <laughs> like so not only all, are they copy and pasting the book report, they're ordering their experiences from a catalog. No, no, I believe these are real. I do believe these are real. I think we're just so jaded, Caitlin, that we've worked in spooky haunted places that we're like, this is standard. This is fine. <laughs> like, I'm entertained by the idea of hauntings by Sears. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this does sound terrifying. So apparently, the I know there's different witching hours, but apparently the witching hour at the Myrtles is between 2 and 4 a.m. That's when it gets really crazy. Okay. Um, and so when people are sleeping, they'll feel their bedding and pillows move. Chandeliers mm-hmm. will sway. Closet doors will just start opening and shutting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Knocking will be heard cold spots around the bed and the beds will actually move and shake on their own and i found this for pretty much all the rooms that's kind of the general like it just gets a little crazy it gets a little crazy between 2 and 4 a.m now in the one room they call kind of the nursery people report the sounds of children laughing and crying many see children in the windows of this room they hear knocks from inside the closet, which I don't know why that gives me the chills, but it creeps me out. Um, n- no, just no. I know. Why is that the creepiest thing? But that creeps me out. So they hear knocks and also, and, and forgive me, I can't remember if it's in this room or another room, but there's also dolls. No. Peop- yes. Why? Yes. Why? Well, why? why? people have good intentions. They bring dolls to leave for the children. They oh, had okay. dolls so like, already in a room, but now guests are bringing dolls, too. So they're, like, not the porcelain dolls that are 
definitely haunted and it's not like a raggedy and doll not to reference somebody in particular it's it's like just regular modern toys it's a mix of both i hate to tell you there are some porcelain ones because they do have some antique ones too yes i mean they're a museum that's fair that move they move around the room no they change positions but then people have also brought gifts for the children very sweet but our tour guide was telling us somebody brought a tickle me elmo Oh, no. So they will be in the house when there's no one else in the house, and the Tickle Me Elmo will start going off. Oh, no. I know. That is terrifying. Oh, that no, no, terrifying. no, no, no. So, yeah, you can stay in the room with the with the Tickle Me Elmo that's going to start going off in the middle of the night while you're Hard no. <laughs> Hard no. And those aren't the only two rooms. There are other rooms in the house, but also on the grounds. I mean, the grounds are haunted. They also have cottages you can stay in where we stayed. You're not safe in those. I mean, as we know, ghosts can travel. They're not, it's not like Beetlejuice. They're not stuck to their house. They can visit other places. <laughs> They're not even bound to their physical form anymore. No. What do you mean bound to their house? <laughs> no, I know. I just think sometimes people think of Beetlejuice. Like, no, they can, they can visit. I mean, Beetlejuice did influence a generation, so I can see why they think that. Yes, Exactly. But, I mean, and it's just people seeing what they think are reenactors when there are no reenactors at the house. Strange noises, objects moving, and so forth. And so to end this, I just wanted to share a little bit about our experience. I've already shared some, like my mom. Mm -hmm. First of all, when we got, if anybody wants to go to the Myrtles, I think it is well worth the trip. If it's, if you can go, it's like two hours from New Orleans. Uh, or maybe not even that far, maybe an hour and a half. I can't remember. But it's, it's well worth the trip. The first thing that struck us when we pulled up was how actually beautiful it was. And we all commented on how peaceful it was, which we were not expecting that. I I think I thought it would be like a haunt, like the Haunted Mansion or something. Like, I don't know what I thought, but it's actually really beautiful. Um, though it does have a Disneyland Haunted Mansion vibe. And for anybody that knows not Disney World, look up Disneyland. It does have those kind of vibes, but it was really lovely. It was serene. We stayed in one of the cottages and they were beautiful inside. Um, But I love when you check in at the Myrtles, you actually have to sign a piece of paper and it has your standard stuff like I won't trash the room. I won't lose the key. But also it's if I don't stay like if I basically if you do not make it to the end of your stay, if you leave early you're not going to get your money back. And so I actually asked the lady at the front desk. Oh, yeah. I asked the lady at the front really? desk. I'm like, so does this mean if we get scared and leave? She's like, exactly. Because what we came came to learn is it is a frequent occurrence <laughs> that guests will flee in the middle of the night. Like a lot of people don't make it through their stay. Like pack up and run away in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. Or like people will go just sit out in the courtyard like, they'll just go outside and sit in the courtyard like they won't go back in the house, especially the ones in the home that we were told some people stayed in the cottage, one of the cottages not long before us. And apparently the trash can moved by itself, the bed unmade itself, and they were gone. Like, they oh. were out of there. So, um, yeah, so you have to sign that, like, yeah, you're not going to get your money back. So, I mean, I'm glad that your- they're they're making they're maintaining their assets and not setting themselves up to be, you know... They're not going to be setting themselves up to be locked up in litigation over room costs for like decades on end. Like, nope, you signed the form. You're out of luck. Bye. Yeah, exactly. So that was kind of cool. But also it was made me think like, why have I made this life choice? Why did I think this? 
is a good idea. You and your life uh, choices. I know. Um, we did the nighttime tours, which I highly recommend. They were the ghost tours. The history, kind of what we've gone through. They do tell the story of Chloe, as it is the history of the home. Not sure on that, but it was very entertaining. The tour guide was fabulous. And then we did the daytime tour where it's more of like just the history of the house and not so much the ghost stories. And I'm, other than my mom, I'm sad to say we didn't have any really other ghostly. Maybe I'm sad. Maybe I'm actually not sad. But we didn't really have any other ghostly experiences. And me and my little boy actually went out around 1030. You know, great, great mom here. Took him out <laughs> on the grounds around 1030 to go ghost hunting with me. <laughs> You're spending quality time with your son. That is the takeaway here. <laughs> that That is my quality time. But, I mean, he loved it. He loved the whole experience. And it was a cool bonding trip with my parents. The only thing that happened and was, of course, I wake up. We're at Myrtle's. I'm in a dead sleep. I wake up at 3 a.m. Naturally. And I'm like, naturally, I'm like, oh, this isn't good. This isn't good. 3 a.m. I'm thinking witching hour. Okay. Well, I look over because in the cottages, there's one room where there are two beds. And I was, and me and my son were in one bed and my parents were in the other bed. And I look over and I'm like, okay, my mom and dad are in bed. Tom's next to me. Then I hear the bathroom door open. <gasps> and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, do I panic? Do I wake my parents up? They're going to be mad at me and just say, this was your idea. <laughs> Why are you waking us up? So the bathroom door opens and I'm just like, this is what you wanted, Jessica. This is what you wanted. This is why you came. <laughs> then the light turns on. And I'm like, and I look over and I still, I'm like, my parents in bed. Oh my God. And I'm like, this is talking about life choices. This one, I'm like, why have I done this? This is, this was a horrible choice. Why, why did I think this was a good idea? <laughs> oh no. I'm just trying, I'm having a panic attack. My child's next to me. What do I do? Then, thank goodness, I heard the toilet flush and I see my dad come out. And I'm like, <laughs> Thank you, Jason. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god, it was my dad. Wait, the, so then who was in bed with your mom? I, she was my side, so I just thought he was there, but he okay. wasn't. Like, because it was dark, and I just could have sworn, like, I see him. Like, he's right behind her. You assumed no. the pillow lump was his head or something. Yeah, that exactly, makes sense. Exactly, because, yeah, I mean, the room was pitch black, so I'm, like, trying to look through the pitch black. No, it was my dad. So that was my scary occurrence at the Myrtles, <laughs> but... It was fabulous. The breakfast the next day was delicious. I mean, it's worth staying there alone for the biscuits and the grits. And oh, my gosh. Oh, and the last thing, I even got to meet the famous Hester Eby. Forgive me if I said that wrong. But if you ever watch any of the shows on the Myrtles, even just local TV up to Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, they're the one they all, she is the lady who they always interview. And she walked into the gift shop and I was like, oh, my God, that's Hester. That's Esther. And I, my mom's like, go say hi to her. And I'm like, I don't want to bother. And thank, it was so funny. I was coming out from breakfast and she was in the courtyard and she's like, well, aren't you a little ray of sunshine? And walked up to me and we started talking and I actually got a picture with her. And she is as lovely and wonderful in person as she is on TV. Like she is exactly who I hoped she would be. I adore this woman. She is like walking sunshine and the coolest part, like coolest, sweetest lady. So if you ever go there, I hope you get to meet Hester because I just adore her. So that was my trip to the Myrtles. <laughs> That's so cool. And you ended on such a high note. I know. I know. Um, 
I mean, I could keep talking about it for days, but it, it was really, like I said, if anybody can get there and they're in their area, it is worth going to. I'm kind of sad you didn't have a more exciting night than just your dad scaring you. Did you get to like talk to the other guests the next morning, see if anybody else had anything happen? Yes, thank you. So so that's the cool thing. If you stay there the next morning, you're like with everybody. It's like, okay, who made it through the night? Who did it? <laughs> Who's still <laughs> here? Who's in Alabama now? What's going on? Exactly. Um, so the guests in the house, they had experiences. But I mean, they had like one couple said like all through the night, they kept hearing voices and talking and movement. And what's funny, they thought it was the other people staying in the house. And they were commenting, like, dang, they are up late. Like, they're still going. And so the next day at breakfast, we were sitting there, and, there, and the guy was like, how late did y'all stay up? We heard y'all at, like, midnight. What were y'all doing? And the other couple was like, um, we went to bed at, like, 9. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And the guy didn't believe him. He's like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. We heard y'all. Y'all were up till like, midnight. And the guy was like, no, serious, dude. We went to bed at 9 o'clock. <laughs> like, so that was pretty crazy. Um, that same couple had left their room for the ghost tour. And when they came back, they found marbles on the floor in the room. No idea where they came from. But I think about if you've got, if you're children... You may be leaving a little toy. And then the couple staying in the cottage next to us um, left their recorder, their EVP recorder, (gasps) going all night. Yes. And they got two really cool EVPs. Okay. for Just really quick. For those that don't know, it's electric voice phenomenon. And phenomena, phenomena, whatever. But anyway, usually, and you know this, Caitlin, when you get an EVP, you almost, like, you can hear it, but they're hard to hear. They're very faint. They're not real loud. Yeah. And you kind of have to listen. So... She's like, do you want to hear it? I was like, sure. So I'm listening really hard. And it's as loud as I'm talking to you right now. I hear a voice go, come here, son. I didn't even think that was the EVP. Oh, that was it the was EVP? So- I thought like she that interrupted. Was- <laughs> no, that's what I thought, too. So I was still waiting. She goes, did you hear that? I was like, wait, was that the EVP? She's like, no, that was it. Whoa. In the middle of the night, it was clear as day. It said, come here, son. Wow. I have never heard an EVP that clear. Like, it blew my mind. And then the other one, it was just as loud, but you couldn't make out what it said. But it was definitely a man's voice. It just, you couldn't quite make out what it was saying. But it was clear as could be. Like, I've never heard anything like it. It was funny. We heard those right after we checked in. And they're like, do you want me to play it for your parents? I was like, no. (laughs) No, they don't need to hear that. (laughs) Like, they, I've already dragged them here. They're they're being really good sports about this. We don't need to start off with those EVPs. <laughs> like, let's save those. But what's hilarious is after doing this once, my mom is convinced she can stay in the house. What? I don't know who, who my mom is now. I love it. Don't get me wrong. But my mom went from me telling her we're going to spend the night there and she being like doing that mom thing of like, oh, great. You, Fun, your your you kid know? brought you a mud pie. Thanks, honey. Yes. She went from that to she and I could you, she was like, I really think I could stay in the house. I want to come back. I think I could do it. I think I could spend the night in the house. It's like, who are you? Where did All I right, mom? Go? Shoot. I know. <laughs> so that means we need to go back, bring our spirit guide along, mm-hmm. and we need to stay in the Myrtle's house. We need to make sure we sleep beforehand because I will not be sleeping that night. That is oh. the, 
I haven't pulled an all-nighter in a while, but I do not think that's going to be a conducive to a restful night's sleep for me. No. Oh, n- no. No, I feel like you don't go to the Myrtles to sleep. Like, you, you just pr- be prepared. Because, yeah, after that 3 a.m. scare, I woke up, like, every hour on the hour after that. <laughs> so, yeah, she wants to do it. So, All right, Mom, let's go. I know, I know, but yes, so maybe we may be taking the podcast on the road one day. (gasps) Yes, we absolutely need to. We might have to set up Patreon before we can do that, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Maybe, but I appreciate you letting me tell all about it. I'm so glad you wanted to talk about it, because I know you were super excited to go, and so, like... I, I wanted to hear about it, and so hopefully our listeners are enjoying it as well, because I, I thought it was really cool. It, it it was. so And that's good to know. Even if you don't have a ghostly experience, it is still worth going. Like, you're still going to enjoy it. It's still fun. Like, you don't have to have a ghost. Actually, probably once you get there and you're trying to sleep, you're going to kind of hope you don't have a I drove seven and a half hours to get here. I'm ready to go to sleep. Nobody exactly. bother me for six hours. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, so very cool. Very, very cool. cool. On to the next item on the bucket list. Right? How many haunted places do you have on your list anymore? Um, I. Oh, girl. Winchester. <gasps> yeah. Whaley House. Oh, there's so many. I haven't been to the Winchester house in so long. I definitely want to go back as an adult. Oh, it's 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 another one on there. It's, it's so another pretty. one. We're going to do it. it was, <laughs> inside into Caitlin's psyche, the Winchester house is where I decided the 13 was going to be one of my favorite numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I love that's what you took from there. It's not, it's like where most people would be scared and be like, it's bad luck. It's like, I'll take that number. Oh, that'll be my number. I like odd numbers. It looks very symmetrical. Honestly, the part that stuck with me was the kitchen drain that had 13 holes in it. For some reason, that's the part that stuck with me. I'm like, 13, it's a good number. I do not have Triscodecophobia. We are fine. Let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I I agree with you. And actually, coming up, speaking of not having a phobia about that, do you know next Friday is Friday the 13th? Ooh, I did not process that. Ooh, I didn't either. When you said that, it just hit me like. <laughs> I mean, you get we have like three Friday the Thirteenth a year or something, don't we? Uh huh. I think so. Hmm. Future podcast episode for sure. We got to go into the history of Friday the Thirteenth, and I need to check all of my sources because I have like three versions of its origin story in my head, and I have no idea which one's true. <laughs> no, I, I understand. I will make sure I look into that for the future episode. Well, 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 we'll manage to tag it on one of the Friday the 13th. So maybe we'll release on a, th- on a Friday instead of Saturday, uh, Thursday for that yes. one. Because yes. that'd be too perfect not to do. Or we can, we can make it another <laughs> special episode like our mini-sode. Ooh. Um, well, in the meantime, thank you all so much for listening. Um, and if you enjoyed this episode, as usual, please do us the grand favor of appeasing the podcast gods by leaving us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. And now that Spotify lets us do the reviews on there, because anything that boosts our ratings gets us seen by more people and then people can find us and enjoy us along with you. Um, and of course, while you're there, if you want to hit subscribe, so then you get the alert when we release new episodes, then I... Absolutely invite you to do so. Absolutely. And we want to hear from you. So let us know what you think about this episode. And if there are any spirited topics or places you want us to explore in future episodes, 
and hopefully one day visit, yes. let us know. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Calling All Spirits Pod, or you can email us at callingallspiritspod at gmail.com. And if you're feeling lucky, of course, you can try the other means of communication. Although I think going all the way to the Myrtle Plantation to try to get to us in Texas might not be the smartest move. <laughs> I think maybe just go back to the tools of the seance episode and pull a new idea from there. I love it. Except for no wrapping, please. Yeah, no, don't wrap on my bedboard, please. Like, I don't want to hate you. And that'll make me very cranky. And don't do the wrappings. We've covered this. Don't contact us via ectoplasm and try not to do the wrappings. Everything else is fair game. Absolutely. So until next time, thank you guys for listening.